1 Thessalonians 4. The last time we covered Jesus' prophecy about the destruction of uh, Jerusalem, decades prior to its occurrence, and also the subject of the promise of persecution to those who bear his name. Today, we're going to be finishing Luke uh, chapter 21, but we're actually going to be in the portion of Scripture starting with verse 25. We're going to be in the second coming or the, pre- the events leading up to the second coming, which is really inside of the 70th week of Daniel, chapter 9. We're also going to cover the parable of the fig tree, but I want to, we're not going to be in end times prophecies for a while, so I really want to bring this home uh, to you, so I'm going to really hit it hard today, as again, we're going to be in Acts after this, so we're not going to see this for a while, so I really want to really have you get a good grasp of what we're doing here. Uh, if you take out your bulletins, we gave out handouts, these little bookmarks with a timeline on them. And if you didn't get one, we're going to have it on the screen. You can follow it on the screen if you need to. But what we're going to follow it on is, you see, the one side says the 70 weeks of Daniel, Adam, Abraham, uh, it's green and then it's purple, right? We're not going to use that side. Flip it over. We're going to be using the side that looks like that up there. Okay? All right, we're going to go through a good portion of Scripture, so uh, you know, take your pens out and paper, and there's a lot of good and interesting stuff in here. Now, basically, this is an organization uh, that puts out these bookmarks that we're not affiliated with, but as I went through it, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I think they're really close to uh, really accurate as far as what the Bible says about what's going to take place in the end times. Uh, I think it's a great example. And it's not going to be, not necessarily, you may look at it and say, well, well, this one event, I have a question about that. And you can have questions. It doesn't mean that this is exactly 100% perfect, but it, it does give you a good indication of what's going to happen. Now, understand this, putting this into perspective, we're not supposed to set a time, Jesus said, for his return. When he was to come back for the church, we're supposed to be prepared, we're supposed to be expectant, but he's not going to cue us into the exact day he's going to return. That's forbidden in the scripture. People have tried to do that, and they've all been wrong. They're considered false prophets. We're not to go as Christians to walk out in the middle of Manhattan with big sandwich boards saying the end is near and frighten people. But we are to do, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to understand our relationship with our Creator and to realize that His coming is very close and very near. And we need to uh, prepare our hearts accordingly to receive Him. Is our life focused on the Lord? Because His return could come at any time. So that's what we should be looking at. So starting with 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14. This is uh, well known as the rapture. In the Greek, it's called the harpazo, which really in that language means a violent snatching away. The Lord calls his people home. He he swipes them up from the earth and takes them to heaven. And it says uh, in a few verses down, verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, if you look on your little bookmarks here, you see that uh, that's right here. This is pretty much uh, mankind, the history of mankind and the rapture, God calls his believers home. 1 Thessalonians, you see, 4.14, and 1 Corinthians 15.52. Uh, so what you have here is uh, the people are being called home, and there's an order here. God says he calls the believers who passed away, the ones who were, you know, who were buried, um, their spirit, when they die, our spirit, our essence, everything that makes us us, goes to be with the Lord, absent the sin. And our bodies were separated from our physical bodies, and they either, you know, people cremate them or bury them or what have you. Uh, but God's going to pull his believers up, the ones who have gone to, you know, died first, those bodies go up first, and then we, the, the order is where who are alive and remain, we get caught up together too, and we, we have a rendezvous with the Lord in the clouds of the air. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52, I'm not going to read it, but it basically says that, uh, there's going to be a changing compositions of our bodies. The Bible says, Paul says, it's going to happen in a twinkling of an eye or a split second. Like that, 
the composition of our bodies will be changed. And what does that mean? Well, if God calls his, you know, your believing grandparents or people who have gone to be with the Lord, he calls them home, uh, when he brings their body up from the grave, he's not going to bring half-rotted corpses up to be with him. It's not like a zombie movie. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In the twinkling of an eye, in a split second, he will put those bodies back together. They'll be a perfected body. They'll be reunited with their spirit, and they'll be with the Lord. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 has everything to do with the resurrection. It's the resurrection chapter. Uh, so basically, you see there's a durability for eternity uh, in our bodies in the future. And the component of our flesh tied to sin obviously has to be gone. We can't be in God's presence for eternity and be in sin. Uh, there's a component tied to our fleshly bodies, uh, a sin component that when we are raptured up to be with him, somehow that goes away. It's shed like dead skin. And what I want to see here, and, and the point that I want to make is there's an order of things in the Lord. This isn't just some fantasy that Christians believe because we're weird. There's an order here, and there's a precision. God is very precise in what he does. You know, it's no different than when we were taken and created out of the dirt. You know, when he made Adam, the word in Hebrew, one of the words, uh, the translations for Adam is red earth. He took the dust of the earth. Do you realize that there's, what, 10 to 13 elements that make up dirt? If you go outside and you scoop up some dirt, you'll find carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, sulfur, nitrogen, all that stuff. The same components that are in the dirt are in our bodies. And check it out. God, the Bible says, takes man from, from the dust of the earth. He forms man and he breathed, he breathed life into that dirt, into those elements, and a human being was there. What separates us from all living things is the fact that we have a spirit. You know, we have a spirit inside of us. I could just picture, I mean, if I was Gabriel at the time watching what God was doing, God was probably out there and he picked up some dirt and he went, and then you saw Adam. Could you imagine the angels? They were probably like, whoa, do that again. I mean, it just, it's just mind-blowing. But it just shows you the care that God puts into our bodies, it, the, the care that he puts into us. And also, uh, before we go into, turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2, starting with verse 2. And you can see that on your timeline too. 2 Thessalonians 2. I'm going to go back to 2. This says verse 11. But after the rapture, the lie comes in. And I'm going to read a little bit about that. Now understand this. The preceding chapter in 2 Thessalonians 1 Paul is comforting the believers. They're being persecuted. He's comforting them. And he's saying, listen, in the end, all your persecutors are going to be judged anyway. So there's a little bit of a context issue here. But starting with verse 2, or starting with verse 3, excuse me, he says, let no one deceive you by any means, and for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. What day? In the Greek, the word is hemera. Hemera can mean a literal day, uh, a 24-hour cycle. But hemera can also mean a time period. And when we talked before about the day of the Lord, uh, all-encompassing the Lord's return for his believers, uh, the, the 70th week of Daniel, uh, all throughout that, and then the second coming where Jesus returns back to earth, it's, in the Old Testament, they understood that as a, as a time period, the day of the Lord. So what he's saying is that uh, this day of Christ, the, uh, the instances where Christ comes back uh, and all these things happen, he says that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, what's going to happen is the falling away is going to come. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now, we understand that person as the Antichrist. And it says, verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, that's that, that instance where he, uh, he uh, makes a peace treaty. If you look at the beginning, it says the 70th week begins with a peace treaty and ends with Armageddon. And in the center, the peace treaty is broken. The Antichrist makes a deal with Israel. Uh, he, he has a peace treaty with them. And uh, in the middle of that seven-year period, he breaks the peace treaty with them and he turns on them. So... He goes into the temple at some point in time, which isn't rebuilt yet. 
If you look over in Jerusalem, it doesn't exist, but it will be. And he'll be standing in there and presenting himself to be God to these people. Okay, so he says, five, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So Paul's recalling, bringing to their recollection, a time that he had spoken some of these things to them. Six, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. Now, people, a lot of people believe that the whole thing about the restraining one is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is restraining this, 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 uh, this instance to revealing of the Antichrist, and when the Holy Spirit is removed, the Antichrist will be able to appear. The world will start to see who he is. And that kind of makes sense because the Holy Spirit indwells believers. We, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. So millions or, or, or hundreds of millions, however many Christians there are on, the, are on the earth, when God calls his believers home, by and large, the Holy Spirit goes too. Now, it's a theory of mine. I don't know if it's correct or not, but it is possible that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go. David said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit would come upon men and they would prophesy, and then the Holy Spirit would come and go, right? Uh, so it's a good possibility that when the believers are removed and the restrainer is removed, the Holy Spirit will kind of go back to like in the Old Testament, where it will come and go because some people do receive Jesus in the tribulation period. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now remember, this is prophecy. Prophecy goes to the future. Sometimes it goes to the near future. Sometimes then it goes to the far future. It's, to us, it's a jumble. To God, he understands it perfectly. So when you're reading prophecy, yes, the Lord will destroy him. Uh, Revelation 19 says that when Jesus comes back, a two-edged sword will proceed out of, his, out of his mouth and he will strike. Okay, so that's going to happen. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is according to the workings of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So you see that Satan is going to come and empower this antichrist, this world leader, this, this charismatic individual. And um, what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of powers that are going to happen, powers, signs, and lying wonders. There's going to be counterfeit miracles. There's going to be mimics of God's perfection through the workings of this man. And for this reason, verse 11, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So a lot of interesting stuff in here. Um, a few important points. Signs and wonders. If you're looking for signs and wonders, and people say this, prove it to me, let God come down, like God's going to do parlor tricks for people to be saved. You know, people look for signs and wonders. And even among Christianity, unfortunately, they run their, their life, their Christian life, by signs and wonders. That's a problem. Okay, that's a problem because we know that uh, even Satan can mimic a lot of those things. Uh, he, he has limited power to mimic. He has limited power to do things on the earth even now. So that's a dangerous place to be in. You have to read the Word of God, Christian. You have to read the Word of God. That's where you're going to find your truth, not in feelings. Some days I get up, I don't feel good. <laughs> Some days I get up, I feel good. You know, my feelings flip-flop all the time. Where I guide my life in spiritual matters has to come from the Word of God. And also, a few good reasons why I believe uh, people talk about the pre-trib rapture, the mid-trib, post-trib, and they talk about in that blue area. Uh, a lot of people don't believe the rapture comes first, but it happens in the middle or maybe the end of the uh, seven, the last week of Daniel, the 70th week. A few reasons why I believe the church is gone at that point that it shows there is one, we just found here that God is sending a delusion to the people on the planet. God is allowing them to believe the lies of this Antichrist and all the evil forces at work. Well, that doesn't make sense because in John 10:3, Jesus said, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. The sheep know my voice and they follow me. So why would God, why would the people hear the Lord's voice and then he try to confuse them with a lie? It's not talking to us. We're not here. That's the first thing. Because now what you see is God, God starts to author some of these, these hardships. You see in the, in the second half of that blue period that uh, he starts sending things onto the earth. Cataclysmic events. It's God's judgment, right? Uh, 
So my question is, um, why would God do that at all? Well, I've said this before. People reject and reject and reject, and God says, fine, you can be solidified in that state. Pharaoh is one of the best examples in the Bible. He did it himself a few times, and God said, fine, you're going to be solidified in that state. And I'll tell you, that's a scary place to be. Um, nobody wants to be in that position where he just allows you to stay in that state. And at that point, there's, there's no hope. The other thing, other reason um, why I don't believe that we're going to be here is that if you read Daniel chapter 9, it's in entirety. When the angel starts to talk to Daniel and talk about the events that are going to happen in that last week, in 924, Daniel says, these are the events that are concerning your people. There are two types of people on the earth in Daniel's day, the Jews and the Gentiles. And the angel is speaking to Daniel. The 70th week, we're not a part of this. This has nothing to do with us. This, after the 69th week and the Messiah was cut off, the, the clock stopped ticking. This is the 70th week. Once the, the largely Gentile and, uh, you know, the, the Gentiles are removed, okay, or the, the Christian church is removed, Israel takes center stage. If you look all throughout Revelation, it's Israel, Israel, Jerusalem. Uh, all these things are happening because Israel is in the center stage. Another reason why I don't think we're here is because the, um, again, the church leaving, the Holy Spirit going with the church, and the Holy Spirit moves through the church. And I made that point. When the Holy Spirit is removed, the church is removed, and uh, the restrainer is, is, is left, uh, is, is taken away, and the, the Antichrist is revealed. Okay, and then the last thing is a few scriptures if you want to take this down. The Bible says that we as believers are not appointed to, are not appointed to wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 makes that clear. Revelation 3.10 makes that clear. Jesus says the hour of tribulation will come upon the whole world, but not you. Romans 5.9. And also there's something in the Bible called typology. If you look at uh, Jeremiah 5.1, there's a little indicator of that. Uh, the flood of Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah. And what that means is God has always in the past before he was going to institute judgment by his authorship, he removes his people. He removes all the righteous before he authors judgment. If it was the flood, everybody was on the boat. When they were safe on the boat, he authored judgment. When it was Sodom, uh, the angel removed all the people, Lot and his family, and no, one, no righteous were left, and God authored uh, judgment, fire and brimstone. So typology, God always removes his people, okay, before he judges. He doesn't judge the righteous with the wicked. He always separates his sheep from the goats. I mean, I, I just have a problem with God uh, punishing us after we've been saved through the cross. I have a problem with that. We, we are children of wrath, but when we're born again, we're saved through that. The cross helps us to pass through that by believing in Jesus. I can't picture God saying to us, you know, I sent my son for you. You know, my son died for your sins. Just believe on him and he'll take away your sins. And, he, and, and I love you so much and, you know, you're, you're my children. And I'll take this fireball. <sighs> you know, I, I just have a problem with that. I just don't see it happening. You know, so. And it, it shows that even when God, the God of love, must judge mankind and eradicate sin, he gives every opportunity for the object of his, his love to be saved. You always see that through the scripture. And I also believe, again, it's a testament to God's character, uh, why we're to be removed before the tribulation happens. Now, the next point is uh, you see the 70th week of Daniel, and then you see Ezekiel, the Ezekiel battle, actually right before that. Russia invades Israel, Ezekiel 38 and 39. I'm not entirely convinced that that's where the Ezekiel battle takes place, but I think there's good scriptural evidence for it. Uh, but it's interesting. You say, well, what do you mean Russia? Well, if you turn to Ezekiel, read 38 and 39, it talks about the famed Magog invasion. Uh, there's names in the Bible. There's geography in the Bible. And when you put it all together, there's only one, other, one place it can be, and that's Russia. Okay, the power, the names, the geography, it all checks out. And if you look at the alliances today, look at who Russia is siding herself with, Iran. Iran calls for the eradication of Israel. Ahmadinejad, I mean, he just wants to, he's going to make nukes, and he doesn't care what the world thinks, and he wants to eradicate Israel. He had this big symposium on how the Holocaust didn't exist. Russia keeps interfering when the United Nations or the West tries to stop them 
or sanction them. Russia keeps getting in the way. Now, this isn't saying Russian people are bad. We, have, we support missionaries that go to Russia. But as a government, as a nation, they have become anti-Semitic. Uh, they've sided with every group that has opposed Israel. And we're kind of like one of the only forces that is keeping them at bay to, to, to not go after uh, Israel. So, uh, so you see the alliances today between uh, Russia and these other uh, nations and rogue states. The mass immigration, if you look at Jews for Jesus, their website, they, I get a periodical from them, they're fantastic. They actually show the numbers of who has emigrated from what country, Jews, right, into Israel. And Russia has, it may be the largest number. Every year, tens of thousands of, or maybe even more, uh, Russian Jews are leaving Russia and coming into Israel. There's a mass emigration. Okay, and also if you look at some of the uh, leaders that are in the, waiting in the wings, uh, Putin I don't think is, is really a good friend to Israel, but there's some other people. If you follow overseas news, there's a guy named Vladimir Zirinovsky. Google, Google his name. He's a, a viable contender for uh, leadership in Russia, and he is, wants to go back to the old imperialistic Russia. I think his statement was that he wants to bring Russia back to the days where its soldiers can uh, wash its boots and bask in the sun of the, one of the seas on the eastern end of, of the hemisphere. They, he wants to be, have an imperialistic Russia all over again. So, again, these are just things to look at. 70th week of Daniel, a few things happen here. The first is the rise of the one world leader or the Antichrist. See it right up top there? And the different scriptures that go with it that, you know, this is going to take some days to digest. So go home and read all the different scriptures and you'll see it all start to come together. And if I don't get any emails, then I really did a bang up job today. But I'm willing to, we're willing to answer your questions. So, because this can be a little, um, you know, it's like a puzzle piece. You put it all together. The one world leader, the Antichrist, maybe a European. A lot of people have different opinions on who this guy might be. He's probably alive today. Uh, he hasn't manifested himself yet, uh, but he's going to allow himself, because of power, uh, he's going to allow himself to be inspired by Satan, and he's definitely going to be moved by him. Could be a European, could be a European aficionado, could be somebody here who has aspirations to, to be something big in the UN. Um, he'll probably be an ecumenist on the surface anyway. He'll probably uh, be for uniting all the world's religions. Uh, he'll probably be suave. And you know what? This is just me. I think he's probably going to be terribly handsome. Uh, Isaiah 53, 2 said that Jesus came with no form or comeliness, no attractiveness that we should desire him. When Jesus came to this earth, it wasn't about what he looked like. He probably was coarse looking. You know, he probably had wild hair. He probably worked with his hands, you know, moving stones and, and carpentry and all that stuff because it wasn't about what Jesus looked like. So the Bible's clear. If you would have looked at Jesus, you would have probably not taken a second look at him. It was about his message. It was about the way of salvation. I believe this guy is going to be the opposite. I think he's going to be, there's something about him. He's going to be, have a magnetic personality. He's going to be charismatic. People are going to look at him, and before he even opens his mouth, they're going to be impressed by him. It's just my opinion. Antichrist. In the Greek, anti, uh, the prefix doesn't mean that he's going to be the antichrist with horns and scary looking. Anti can mean in the Greek a substitution. So this guy's going to be a substitution. He's going to be, remember, whatever God does, Satan tries to imitate. It's usually a cheap substitute. So the Antichrist is going to be somebody who's going to want to be an in place of God. You don't like the Bible. You don't like God's rules. You don't like his only way to heaven. You know, if that bothers you, no problem. Come follow me. Worship me. You can do whatever you want. You know, isn't this a lot better? So he's a cheap substitution of, of, of the love of God and who God is. And, you know, on a smaller scale, we can look at our lives and say, what do we do in our lives to substitute God? In a smaller scale, I think sometimes that uh, people look at the scriptures and they want another way. They want a, a way that, that suits them more. And they look for cheap substitutes in life. Uh, at Calvary Chapel, Oldbridge last night, Lloyd was talking a lot about the ceremonies and even uh, ceremonies that Calvary chapels have in different denominations. And basically, you say, listen, you don't want to be a good Christian. You don't want to really follow him and, and be a Jesus freak. You can do all these ceremonies and you can, you know, follow these traditions that we have and you'll be fine. You know, it's, it's good. It's a cheap substitute. There's nothing like having a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's, it's second to none. 
Now, going back to this, this man, this Antichrist, um, again, people are swooned by a smooth talker. Uh, I was a, I'm still a World War II, like a lot of the wars I follow. Hitler was, and you would say, you see the videos, and he's flailing his hands, and he's acting all crazy. But I'll tell you what, people might have said, oh, but he's passionate. In, in, in that time, they probably would have defended him. He's a passionate speaker. He loves Germany. And he, he swooned a whole nation, this man. And what did, what did they get for it? Death. Death. Death to the Jews and death to their own nation, the bombings. So this is what they got by sw- uh, following a, a smooth talker. It says that in Matthew 24, uh, 24, it says that even if possible, the elect might be deceived. This is a weird wording of the scripture. It says, if possible, if possible. So it's not possible, but it's real close. The elect might be deceived. So this guy, this whole system is going to be so good and so slick that, man, if you're not in your Bible, you might, you might take a second thought and say, well, that's interesting. Man, what he says, you know, he's got a lot of passion. It makes a lot of sense. So I could just say to you, you've got to be in your Bibles. You've got to know what your Bible says. Politics, I'm amazed at how many Christians will vote for people based on their smoothness. Every election cycle, one of the things people talk about is, wow, he's a good speaker. Wow, he's got passion. Wow, look at his family. They're such nice people. He's handsome. Look at the way he dresses. God help us. God help us as people of God. If we vote for people based on their appearance, what does the person stand for? God help us if we don't know what the person stands for before we pull that lever. Even in the church, charismania. People are so impressed by these speakers, you know, what they look like and uh, their mannerisms. It's just the whole charismatic thing. And then when a man falls, people lose their faith. Well, Jesus is still here, you know, so the instrument fell. The instrument, you know, uh, chose to go a different way. Jesus is still here. Find somebody else to, to give you the word of God. Read it on your own. Uh, so again, I think this guy is going to have everything uh, that, a, that a personality could have. Uh, to quote an expression, he's probably going to be all that in a bag of chips. Some of you are from Philly. I look at the whole debate between Apollos and Paul. Apollos, again, from reading the scriptures, everything I've read, I get the impression that Paul, well, I don't get the impression that said it, that Paul wasn't much to behold. But Apollos, there was something special about this guy. What did he look like? I don't know. But you know what? Apollos actually had to be discipled by Priscilla and Aquila, if you remember. He had the basic understanding of the scripture. He knew the baptism of John, but he didn't have the whole picture. And he actually had to take a hiatus from his preaching and be discipled by Priscilla and Aquila. But Paul, Paul wrote half the New Testament. And they even said in his letters, well, Paul, they look at him, he's nothing to behold. I wonder if God could show us Paul today, the church at large, the American church, and they would look at him. They'd be like, get that scruffy guy out of here. Where's Paul? You know what I'm saying? But we were looking for Paul. No, that is Paul. So it's not about the person's appearance. It's about what does the person stand for? It's about the message behind it. Okay. The two witnesses, uh, the next part in the blue shaded area, you go down on the left side, it says the two witnesses and the scriptures in there. Uh, this is interesting. Interesting two guys here that come back and uh, they're prophets of God and for a time they can't be killed. Whenever they want to, they can open their mouth and fire comes out of their mouth and devour people. That's a pretty cool trick to have, isn't it? And then after a time when God, uh, he doesn't kill them, God doesn't take their life, but he uh, allows them to be, their lives to be taken by the people at large. And something really bizarre happens. They have a great celebration. The world just hates the things of God so bad that when these two witnesses, these prophets, these men of God die, they actually, the Bible says that they, they have a celebration and they give gifts to each other. It's like Christmas because these, these two prophets are taken out of the picture. And people speculate, who were the, the two prophets that return? Was it, could it be Elijah because he was taken up in a chariot of fire and nobody really saw him die? Could it be Enoch because Genesis tells us that he was removed, he was taken up, nobody saw him die? Nobody saw Moses die, but the Bible says that God buried him. It's all speculation. I don't think anybody knows 100%. could be Moses and Elijah to represent the law and the prophets. Who knows? And then the next part down, it says the Jews are called to Israel. And we talked about the mass immigration into Israel from all around the world. If you, and again... I always say this. I'm going to stop here. Don't take my word for any of this stuff. Whatever I say, write it down. Go home, look up Google, pick up your encyclopedia if you have one, 
and see if I'm telling you the truth. You know, you see that all the things are starting to line up even today as we speak. So it's very interesting. Uh, the one world religion, go down below the horizontal line, just below that it says the one world religion. You see that in Revelation 17. It's a huge ecumenic movement by all faiths into a harmonious belief system. Now, what's interesting is it's hard to harmonize true believers in the resurrection with people who deny the resurrection. See, this is where Christians become a problem. This is where Christians become closed-minded. We become, um, you know, exclusive because we believe in the resurrection. And a lot of people don't. You know, a lot of the other faiths, and they say, listen, let's all harmonize our world religions. You know, let's get into one thing so there's no more fighting and no more wars. You know, can you guys just lose the resurrection thing? Will you put that on the side? No, we can't. Because without the resurrection, we're still dead in our sins, the Bible tells us. So we, we have to hold on to that. But there's going to be, and there is a movement today, and there will be continue to be a movement to harmonize what we believe with uh, people who believe the exact opposite. And that's a problem because there's some things that you just can't sit on the fence with. And Jesus made that very clear while he walked the earth. And this is one of them. It's, it's a non-negotiable item, the resurrection. <laughs> The Jewish temple being rebuilt, uh, just below that, uh, again, I talked to some good brothers in the Lord and we were having a discussion. People have written books and said, well, you know, there's geography that was done and GPS that says that they could actually build the temple again. The Dome of the Rock is there and you could build it and it's a possibility that the outer courts, the court of the Gentile may suffer, but you can still build the building. Well, that's true. Geographically, it can be. But don't you think, if you follow uh, overseas news, that if Israel started tomorrow to lay the foundation and build that temple, it would be seen as an act of aggression by other people? You know that that's the, ca the case. All the world would decry Israel if they started tomorrow to build their temple. Um, I don't think Israel's Olmert is ready for this, especially after the, the, the debacle. That a lot of people are upset with him, the way he handled the... Uh, war with Hezbollah and Israel recently. So he's a little gun shy. I don't think he's looking to make any waves right now. You've got to look at the politics that are happening right now. Uh, I believe it would be denounced by world opinion. Israel is constantly denounced by world opinion. No matter who does what, Israel's the bad guy. You know, it's, it's another, uh, it's another uh, you know, point or whatever against Israel. So this, this Antichrist, this charismatic leader, will come on the scene, I believe, and he'll start to negotiate, and he'll be a really good talker, and he'll set it up so that they can start rebuilding the temple, because we know in the future that it will be rebuilt. 144,000, uh, just below that, okay, in the, in the blue area on the left, 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Uh, we spoke about them before. My question is this. Why would God need 144,000 Jewish evangelists sealed with a special mark so they can't be hurt if the church was here? He wouldn't. Again, Israel takes center stage. The abomination of desolation right in the center. Uh, we spoke about that uh, before. Uh, it's where the Antichrist receives worship. In Thessalonians, it's clear. He wants that worship for himself. And the attack on the Jewish people. Uh, the time of Jacob's trouble. If you're taking notes, Jeremiah 30, colon 7. That hasn't happened yet, the time of Jacob's trouble. It said it's going to be, you say, well, the Holocaust was bad. It was, but this is going to be worse. There's going to be uh, world opinion of, of, of the Jews is going to be bad against Israel. Anti-Semitism is, is going to increase. Actually, again, look at the stats today. Look at the stats today on the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe, especially France, Okay. Look it up. Don't take my word for it. Check it out. Anti-Semitism is on the rise in Europe. It, Europe was one of the last bastions, them, the West, us, uh, to support Israel. And it, we, we're not even talking about the PLO, Hamas, Hezbollah, Al-Aqsa, Martyrs Brigades, all those guys. We're talking about Europe, okay? Uh, follow all the UN resolutions condemning Israel. No matter what Israel does, they sneeze wrong. They're condemned by the United Nations. And lastly, listen to the rhetoric in the last election cycle. Both parties, Republicans and Democrats, have started to pull away from undaunting support for Israel. So you see the, a pulling away of support for Israel. After our cousin, current president, George Bush, I don't think you're going to see anybody have uh, such support for Israel. And even he made some, some mild concessions 
in support for Israel. So it's going to really start to wane because our, our attitude is we don't need the problems. Let's get out of Iraq. Let's get out of Afghanistan. We don't need any problems. You know, we don't need any problems. Let them solve their own problems is going to be the prevailing attitude. Um, again, it's very interesting what's happening. So the only, check it out. So the, Fran, or the uh, Europe says, forget it. We're, we're not going to support you. If the United States starts backing away, who's going to protect Israel? The Lord. He's going to be their only protection. And your redemption draws nigh. They'll have to look up to the Lord for him to come and to rescue them, which he will. Uh, if you keep going, go towards the right side now, uh, on the blue area, just below the horizontal uh, line, it says, God's wrath 666, the mark of the beast. We've talked about this. Uh, the mark is received on the right hand of the forehead, and you can't buy. You can't buy food from the grocery store. You can't sell. You can't do anything without this mark, okay, the mark of the beast. Now, it's actually a lot of this is old news. Uh, ten years ago when I heard some of this stuff, I was like, whoa, cutting edge. Now it's old news. I've actually seen the chips. They're the size of a grain of rice. It's like a glass or um, polycarbonate uh, uh, you know, surrounding, and there's, inside there's a chip. And all it is, chips are very small, and they can hold a lot of information. They could be uh, subcutaneously implanted in the, under the right hand or somewhere in the head, not a problem. Uh, of course, they always start with the pets, the pet finders, right? You put them in your pet, your dog gets lost, you, you, know, you get the thing going, and they GPS the pet. Hey, Fido's over there, let's go get him, you know? He's in the neighbor's yard, digging a hole somewhere. So, so these chips, you know, these marks, these chips always start with the pets. Uh, then there's pilot programs for the, the prison population. Good idea, right? We don't want prisons, prisoners to escape. The military, they put everything on the military. They don't have a choice in anything. You've got to take this stuff. You know, they're, they're, uh, there's pilot programs. And also, uh, oh, wouldn't it be great to put it on your child? So, you know, in the, in the age of all these child predators, you can GPS and find your kid. Well, there's a way to defeat that by one of these creeps, and I'm not going to say it because I don't want it to be propagated, but, um, you know, that's what these chips do. It starts there, and then the population at large says, hey, this is a great idea. You go past the, the supermarket, you got this chip in your hand, you pay, pass your hand over the little scanner, it knows how much money you have in the bank, it debits it for the, for the purchase. You go to the hospital, you're unconscious, great idea, right? They, you know, you're, you're unconscious. They wand your hand, and they find out your medical history. This stuff is genius. And it, it actually is a good thing, but this world leader is going to take it and have all the power now, and he's going to be able to control it himself. You see how it's going to turn. Again, this, a lot of this stuff is old news. Now, here's the cool thing. The cool thing is this Bible is, is the best. I mean, this book is just, I'm just in love with this book because you can't find another holy book on earth. I was, I was even watching the Nostradamus predictions, and it's like, Yawn, you know, it's nothing really exciting there. <laughs> I mean, this, you, well, you could interpret this as that or this. I mean, this stuff is just very accurate, okay? And it, it, it pulls everything together from all different books, 66 books, really over a period of 2,500 years, for, you know, uh, 40 different authors. There's no way they could have communicated with each other. They didn't even live in the same time periods. So this, this stuff is really amazing. Well, let's move on. Now, meanwhile in heaven... If you, if you look, okay, you got the rapture, you got huh, me knocking the thing over, <laughs> falling off the stage. Uh, you have the last week of Daniel, right, this, the 70th week, and while all this awful stuff is going on, the church is raptured. You see Christian judgment and return to reign with Christ. So... It's like two things are happening at the same time. There's things that are happening on the earth, and then in heaven, once we're raptured, what happens in heaven? Christian, Christian judgment. Now, not in a judgment is you're condemned, because we've already passed from death unto life, the Bible says. But a judgment, the Bible talks about, and read all those scriptures, um, as in the Olympics. Uh, we, we, we get the, the, the Bible talks about the crown of life, crown of righteousness, different crowns that you get. And of course, we saw in the beginning of Revelation that they lay their crowns down at the Lord's feet. So it's cool because God uses us to do some really cool things, saving souls, you know, generosity, all this kind of stuff. But then in the end, we give the glory back to God. So this is happening in heaven while these things, other things are happening at earth. Don't forget the marriage supper of the Lamb, that great feast, welcome into the joy of the Lord. We have this great feast with the Lord, and uh, that's happening in heaven at the same time. Um, I don't know, is there going to be 
are we going to be able to see what's going on? Is it going to be like a big screen TV, like a pay-per-view event? I don't know. But uh, we're not going to have to deal with it, that's for sure. Now, there's a convergence. At the end of the blue area there, you see uh, the people that are in heaven. It starts to come down, and it, it kind of uh, nexuses with the edge of the blue uh, portion over there. And what happens is now the Lord and his saints are converging now on the world theater again. So here's a, you see this happening. And it, it happens at the Battle of Armageddon. Armageddon in the Hebrew, Armageddon just means Mount Megiddo. Mount Megiddo is a location. It's on the plains of Megiddo, atop the Carmel Mountains. And uh, military leaders many times have fought. I think Napoleon was there. Uh, if you look at all, some of the Old Testament battles, a lot of battles were fought. It's a huge plain, and troops can line up, tanks, whatever, horses, and duke it out. It's like a military leader's dream. Uh, so it's going to happen again. There's going to be a convergence in that area, and the great battle is going to be fought. At the same time, so Jesus is returning with his saints in tow. If you're taking notes, Revelation 19, there's two times the door of heaven opens up. Revelation 4, the door of heaven opens up, and a voice says to John, come and see. He says, whoa, like he's going into and seeing the heavenly scene. And in Revelation 19, the door of heaven opens up again, but people are coming out of it instead of coming into it. And that's where the Lord comes back with his saints in tow. Zechariah 14:5 and Revelation 19. What's, what's it for? To come down and stop the annihilation of Israel. The Lord is not going to allow them to be destroyed. Um, he's going to stop any possible nuclear holocaust. If anyone's going to destroy his creation, it's going to be him, nobody else, and he has the right to. So he's going to stop uh, all that nuclear exchange if that's what's going to be happening. And when you see, in, in a nutshell, Jesus subdues the evil in the earth. Satan is thrown into the pit. Uh, the false prophet and the Antichrist are thrown into the lake of fire where Satan will join them later. So the false prophet and the Antichrist are in the lake of fire. There's a thousand-year reign, and you know, Satan is again released from the pit to deceive the earth again, and he's judged finally and thrown into the lake of fire. You can find this in Revelation 19, 20, and 21. Okay, so the bottom line is this, to, to, to give you the good news. Some people uh, get worried about this stuff. And really, if you're in Christ, there's no reason to worry about it at all. If you choose Christ, there's no reason to worry about it at all. This is for a rebellious, sinful world. This is at a point where we see on the news, you know, a child is abducted, someone's murdered, someone's elderly people are scammed. I mean, every day. God sees the news aggregately. <laughs> he sees the news that's not reported. Ethnic cleansings, genocides, you know, all that stuff. So God sees aggreg aggregately everything that's happening on the earth at the same time. This is a wicked place to live. Uh, we live in a very sheltered country. We have a lot of good comforts, but a lot of the world is, is a lot of hardships. So if you're on his side, you're going to be preserved through all this. When is the time to receive the Lord? Right here, today. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to receive the Lord. Don't gamble. I can't tell you, some of my friends, uh, they're not believers, and they say, well... I'll look out for the mark of the beast. I'll look out for you guys to disappear. Man, you don't want to go through this stuff. <laughs> I mean, to get the, the, the Bible, to, to see everybody disappear that you knew, and then say, uh-oh, okay, try to jump up, and he, he's not taking you. It, that's, it's too late. You're stuck in this, all right? Your best bet is that they, it's a quick execution. They lop off your head, and that's great. So that's what you get to look forward to. <laughs> it's not much to look forward to. Okay. Verse 25, I'm just going to cover a few more uh, scriptures because I, I think they tie into this, and then we're going to wrap it up. Go to Luke. Go back to Luke uh, 21, starting in verse 25. Luke 21, 25. It says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. All of Matthew 24 is helpful. If you, when you're studying it on your own, Matthew 24 gives a little bit more uh, details in certain areas. 
But this portion of scripture is inside of the great tribulation at the last part of the seven-year period. A lot of bad things are happening there. Um, the book of Revelation has seal judgments. The seals are broken, and every time a seal is broken, uh, something awful happens. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowl judgments, and they all happen between Revelation 6 and Revelation 19. I'm going to read a few more scriptures about some of the things that happen, and then I'm going to close it up. Revelation 6, 3 through 4, just two verses. It says, And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, these are the four horsemen, right? This is the second horse. Fiery red went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. So we know that In the beginning of Luke, Jesus came to bring peace. To all those who would have peace, Jesus came to bring peace. Now, when this seal is broken, all peace is removed. It's a pretty scary place to be. You think things are bad now? When this happens, it's going to be pretty awful to behold. Revelation 6, I mean, when I go on patrol, sometimes we have a bad night, you know? But when I go on patrol, we have, what, 40-something thousand residents in South Brunswick? 40,000 residents aren't out in the street yelling and screaming, running around naked, beating each other up. It doesn't happen. I mean, you get a few calls and six or seven cops can handle it, right? But when peace is removed, it's going to be chaos. It's going to be anarchy. It's going to be insane, okay? It's going to be crazy. You get the point? <laughs> Revelation 6:12. It says, the sixth seal. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold... There was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. So, and and Revelation 8, 7, one verse. This is the, the first trumpet now. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. I mean, not for nothing, but global warming has nothing on this stuff. (laughs) I got news for you. The earth is not going to be destroyed by global warming. When I was a kid and I was in school, I was told that we were heading to another ice age. Now we're heading towards global warming. And I'm not denying that there's, there's changes in the earth. I'm not denying that or making too much fun of it, but, and we should be good stewards of the earth. But if you're a Christian, that shouldn't bother you. That's not what's going to do it. Um, also, when I was a kid in school, Pluto was one of our planets. You know, I liked Pluto. The little, the little guy at the edge of the solar system. Now I'm an adult and Pluto's been demoted. He's not even a planet anymore. So, you know, science changes, you know, science, knowledge, knowledge of things. You know, 20 years ago it says one thing, now it says something different. So global warming's not going to do it. Uh, 8.12, Revelation 8.12 and 13. The fourth trumpet. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who were about to sound. The angel's saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get worse. And in in chapter 9, I'm not going to read, but the bottomless pit is open up and these creatures come out like locusts and uh, there's a point in time where no one can die on the earth. You, you, You actually, no matter what happens to you, you're still alive. And these locusts, these creatures come up and they sting people. And the pain is so bad that they, people gnaw their tongues and they wish that they could die, but they can't die. It's pretty bizarre stuff, right? It's pretty wild. Um, you know, but the way I look at it is this. I'm on the winning team. And not because I'm great. You know, Some of you might think I'm great, but the Lord knows I'm a filthy sinner. You know, I'm on the winning team. And all of everybody here can be on the winning team. And I've got to tell you, maybe I'm weird, but a lot of this stuff attracted me to the Word of God. I didn't want to go to church, but when somebody would tell me about Revelation, I'd be like, that's cool, you know? And then I was like, I don't want to be there when all this stuff happens. So, you know, you've got to be on the winning team, and it's easy to be on winning team. You just repent of your sins, believe that Jesus died for your sins. It's a very simple formula. Anybody can do it, but you have to mean it with your heart. It's not a formula, so to speak. It has to come from the heart. Um, 
Verse 27, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He said that to the religious leaders. He told them, the next time you see me, you're going to see me coming with power and, and great glory. Uh, this isn't the rapture. This is the second coming. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads because your redemption draws nigh or your redemption draws near. The redemption of Israel. Okay, he's, uh, It's a national revival that's going to happen. They're going to look, Israel as a whole is going to look at their Messiah the one whom they pierced, and they're going to be, it's going to be a national revival. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and the Lord is not going to allow them to be destroyed. He's going to redeem them. And actually, there's different scriptures that you can calculate from the time of the broken covenant in the middle of that seven-year period, from the time that the Antichrist breaks the covenant to uh, Christ's return. It's three and a half years exactly. And in some scriptures, it actually takes it to the day. So uh, the rapture can't be calculated but the second coming can, based on the broken covenant. You see two different events happening here. Uh, I'm going to wait on the rest of it because I don't want to keep you too long. But, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if I did this stuff justice the last time I actually started it. And there's two things I have to do here. Number one, I have to make you understand the serious nature of what's going to happen. But the second thing is to make it clear that if you're in Christ and you truly understand this, none of this stuff should bother you. It doesn't bother me. Um, it doesn't bother me at all because I'm not going to be, it's not going to happen to me. So, uh, you know, after 2,000 years of Satan trying to mess with us and, and give us a hard time, and that's the difference. People say, well, Joe, what about the missionaries in uh, hostile countries to Christianity? Their churches are burned, people are being kidnapped, and, you know, isn't that suffering? Yes, it is. We will suffer persecution here because we're in the Satan's playground. The world, he's got the world right now, okay? He's got control over the world. But remember, the people who are suffering, the missionaries, it's not authored by God. It's authored by Satan and the world system. There's going to come a point in time where that's going to flip. Now, God is going to author the suffering. And again, it may sound weird to you, but it has to do with judgment. See, God is a, a loving God, and he's a just God. He has to judge sin. He has to deal with sin. Some of us, we, we, we can be friends, and you sin, I sin, and you don't tell anybody about my sin, I won't tell anybody about yours. But that's not how God looks at it. You can't do that. If someone's truly your friend, you gotta, it's got to be more than that. So God is going to eventually judge sin. He's going to stop rebellion. He's going to eradicate all that stuff. And he says to everyone on the planet, you all can escape that. It's very simple. Repent of your sins and believe that Jesus died for you, and you will be saved. And that's it. But there's a rebellious world out here in Revelation 6. All these things are happening, and the captains and the, and of the earth are looking at the lamb coming down, and they're like, hide us. Let the mountains fall on us. We don't even want to deal with him. They would rather die by being crushed by the mountains than to just look at the Lord and say, oh, man, I, I know you gave me a lot of chances. I, I want to repent. That's how human nature is. We're stubborn people. I'm stubborn. My wife tells me all the time. But um, so I just want to say this to you. God loves you so much uh, as individuals that he doesn't want any of you as individuals to perish. God loves us so much that uh, even in the midst of his wrath, many will be saved out of the tribulation. There's a portion of scripture where uh, there's tribulation saints. They're actually saved through that period of the tribu tribulation. But again, God has to preserve his in integrity and to judge sin and unrighteousness. And once the Pandora's box is open, so to speak, it can't be shut. So the question is, where, where do you want to fall on? To fall, fall on the side of a loving God, a loving Father who loves you and did all these things for you? Or do you want to rebel and rebel and rebel and have to be dealt with him in this period of time? That's a choice that only you can make. Let's pray. That, uh, even in the midst of